want to go back and kind of review some of the things that we've, we've been in it for several months now, so uh, I want to look through that. But as we look at Nehemiah, one thing that came to mind is, you know, a common idea, the common thing that we, we think about is that there's strength in numbers. And in a lot of ways, that's true. I mean, yesterday, uh, it was a blessing to have a lot of people here to move pine straw, spread pine straw, pick up trimmings and, and all that. Uh, there, there was strength in numbers yesterday. Uh, with the middle school and high school activity last night, uh, middle school girls especially think that there's strength in numbers. You know, when they go to the bathroom, let's see, we've got to do it as a group or, or whatever it is. Um, that's why we, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you don't see many cars in the parking lot and there's not many people in the dining room, if you're like me, I begin to wonder, have I made the right choice? Is this a good place to eat? Uh, when I buy something, I like to look at the reviews. I, I'd rather see thousands of reviews than just a couple because that gives me an idea of, well, there's a lot of people that approve of this and give comments. So in some ways, yeah, there is strength in numbers, but God doesn't always work that way. And we see this all throughout Nehemiah and even through uh, the history uh, all the way from, from Genesis. Think Genesis 12, Abraham was called out of his people and his land to go to a place, to go to Canaan, that you know, God says, I'm going to send you to a place that I'll tell you, uh, and I'm going to pull you out of kind of you know, all the other people, but Abraham, I want you and your family to follow me. Well, then God only chose you know, one son of Abraham, uh, Isaac, to receive the covenant promises. From Isaac then, God only chose one son, Jacob, who would later be called Israel, you may remember, as we've even studied some through the Old Testament and now into the New Testament, uh, you know, through Jacob called Israel, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And then out of all the nations around them, the, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Canaanites, of all the nations, did God choose like the league of 10 nations? How many nations did God choose to be his chosen people and to re represent him, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, to the rest of the world? How many? One. Now, if, if it were me planning, I probably would have thought, you know, it would be great to have maybe ten nations. But God doesn't always work that way. And he says, no, Israel is going to be my chosen nation. And Israel, you are the one uh, that should show me to the rest. Now, from the twelve tribes, one tribe was chosen, the tribe of Judah, uh, by which the Messiah would come. Through that, then, you see King David was chosen out of all of his brothers, probably to the surprise of his older brothers and stronger brothers. You know, Jesse had many sons, but yet David was chosen to be king. And then through the line of David, we see Jesus Christ, the Messiah. As we study Jesus Christ, the Messiah, then Jesus, he didn't invest um, so much time with, you know, thousands of people. Now, he was with thousands of people, but you see that he really invested a lot of time with 12 and after, you know, just before the day of Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 1, the latter part of Acts chapter 1, there were 120 people. And after he had fed thousands of people and showed miracles and, uh, and had lived a, 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 an obviously a very impacting life, yet there were 120 people. And once again, God is showing us, you know, if you're with me, then that's enough. And through the 120 people then, the day of Pentecost, the church... Uh, as we know it, was started and has flourished and touches every part of the world. Uh, but God uses 
many times a few and sometimes even an individual for his glory. We see that here in Nehemiah. A couple questions. One is, how did Nehemiah have courage to move forward by faith? Well, we see you know, throughout the book that he listened to the Lord and followed him. All the way back in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, we see him listening to the Lord. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat, da- sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's, there's some things that have happened in the past that have been very heavy on my heart. But I don't remember a time of setting aside days at one time to continue and fasting and prayer. But it seemed like Nehemiah here was very focused and he wanted to know, God, what would you have me to do? And Lord, what is the next step? I, I've been made aware of this need and God, I want to listen to what you have to say. And in that verse, we saw that he heard, he sat down and wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. There was a change of heart, and that resulted in a change of direction. Through comparing some of the verses, we see that it wasn't just days that Nehemiah prayed, but actually it looked like there was about four months that took place between when he heard the need of the walls uh, being still in shambles around Jerusalem until he finally went to the king and asked the king, you know, can I do something about this? There's about four months where he continued in prayer continue to listen to the Lord. Then we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and I'd, I'd encourage you to join with me. We see that not only is he you know, ready to listen to the Lord, but he's ready to follow when God showed him the next steps. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. And now jump with me to verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 1. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then it says, and now I was cupbearer to the king. So as a cupbearer to the king, he would often hold a cup, you know, for the king and would taste things. And he was, you know, one that was really responsible for the king's safety. But he went from holding a cup for a king to holding a sword for the king of kings as he was sent back and led this phenomenal feat to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he listened to God, and he says, all right, I'm ready to follow. And God, would you give me mercy? Would you be attentive to my prayer? And as I go in the presence of this man, a king, God, I'm looking to you as my king, and I want you to hear and do a work, and I want to follow you. We see that he not only listened and followed, but he also lived worthily for the Lord, but then for others. Sometimes as Christians, we can say, yeah, I love God. Man, I love him with all my heart. Well, does that show forth with your horizontal relationships? With other people around you, in your neighborhood, in the school you attend, and where you work, and even your your relatives, would they be able to say, yes, I see that not only he says he loves God, but boy, it affects everything he does in his horizontal relationships with others. As he lived worthily, 
One of the ways he did this was through regular communication with God. Regular communication with God. We finished up last week kind of going through um, almost verse by verse, but Nehemiah chapter 13, the last chapter of the book. And throughout the beginning of Nehemiah, and then all throughout even the middle, we see Nehemiah coming back to God and praying. But I want to focus and kind of point out just in the last chapter, in Nehemiah 13, 14, if you're there, look with me. Nehemiah 13, 14, it says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Do not wipe out my good deeds. Now notice this that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Nehemiah makes it pretty clear here. He's talking to God, Lord, I'm doing all this not to just be the governor of Jerusalem, not so that my name will go down maybe in the written you know, chronicles of what was done here, but God, I'm doing this for your name and for your service. Next we see in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 22, the latter part of the verse. It says, remember this also in my favor, O my God. And spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. You may recall that in Nehemiah 13, he is, he's confronting some people who already are away from the Lord after he had been a time back in Persia. And he, he comes to the Lord and says, listen, God, will you show me favor? Will you remember me? And spare me according to your steadfast love. As he saw a lot of the unfaithfulness, and I'm sure as he came back after being gone, and maybe some people that Nehemiah thought, wow, they're really going to step up to the plate in my absence and lead the nation forward. I'm sure that there were some when he came back that he was gravely disappointed. But yet he could look to God and says, but you are my steadfast love. Lord, remember me. Nehemiah 13, 29, it says, Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. As we face persecution, as we face difficulties, may we remember that God hasn't called us to a life of vengeance. God hasn't called us to repay evil with evil. But as Nehemiah did, he says, Lord, they're in your hands. Remember them for what they've done. And then the last part of Nehemiah, the very last phrase, I believe, in the chapter, Nehemiah 13, 31, latter part of the verse, it says, Remember me, O my God, for good. So as Nehemiah, he, he, all through his life, he's talking to God. And it's interesting, a lot of these aren't long, drawn out, you know, full of theological term prayers. There's nothing wrong with those types of prayers. But sometimes I think we get the idea of, okay, when I go to prayer, you know, I've got to have this, like, Really theologically full. But Nehemiah shows, boy, there's a lot of worth in just coming and talking to God. That's part of a relationship. You know, every time that I talk to Kim, I don't come with poetry of how much I love her and, and flowing words of, I mean, she would appreciate that every once in a while, I'm sure, and I'm not much of a poet. But I try to talk to Kim often. And I, I, and I try to, you know, whenever we're together, I, I try to... to See how she's doing, and she tries to see how I'm doing, and we, we communicate because we love each other, and really that's a lot about what prayer is all about, talking to God on a regular basis. We see kind of a, a similar idea of the word favor in how Joseph uses it. He had interpreted dreams for two guys in prison. And then he says in, G in Genesis 40, I'll read it for you, in Genesis 40 and verse 14, only remember me. When it is well with you, and please to do me, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. 
So in a similar way that Joseph was using that idea of remember me and Nehemiah saying, God, remember me, show favor on me. Now we know that those guys didn't show favor on Joseph, but yet God did. His sovereign plan was still at work. And, and there, in fact, all throughout the story of Joseph, we say that he had favor with God. God was remembering him. Now, different things that God calls you to do, God remembers you. God wants to show you favor. Now, like the song that we sing, just sang recently, you know, today, that doesn't mean that we're always going to prosper financially. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be free of suffering. As I sang the song, I couldn't think, you know, and that phrase came even when, you know, suffering. I couldn't think about a, a very prominent uh, prosperity gospel movement all over Brazil. There's even one of their churches in Marietta that I pass occasionally. And one of their key slogans is, uh, Jesus Christ the Lord, stop the suffering. Well, Jesus suffered. We can learn a lot from Jesus' suffering. And even at some of the most difficult times of Jesus' human life, 100% God, 100% man, he says, Lord, not thy will, not my will, but thine be done. He was, he was facing difficulty. We're going to face difficulty. So the Christian life is not just about the lack of difficulty, but it's continuing to walk with him and talking with him. Sometime, if you got a chance, you know, read Psalm. If you get a chance, read Psalm 17. And David continually through that Psalm comes and he, and he basically says, Lord, remember me and remember me all throughout Psalm 17. Nehemiah communicates regularly with the Lord, but also through truthful communication with others. He doesn't try to manipulate. He doesn't go back to the exiles and say, hey, all right, I'm the man. This is going to be pretty easy. You follow me and I'll give you a special place in leadership. You know, here come a couple months when we finish this. He doesn't try to manipulate. In fact, he says, God has shown favor to me and God is in this, but there's difficulty. It means at some point you're going to have to take up a sword. You're going to have to be laying block with one and have a sword in the other. This is going to be a difficult task. He had truthful communication with others. We see that he had, he had sacrificial interaction with others. He didn't lead from a distance. Now, there wasn't, you know, like Zoom and uh, Microsoft Teams and things like that. But he could have sent letters. He could have sent, you know, some of his representatives. But he went. And not only did he go, but he served in the trenches of all the rubble. Remember the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1? It says the rubble was great. And he was there. He didn't even take the portion that the previous governors of Jerusalem had received. He says, no, I'm not going to take that portion or, in essence, my salary as governor because that is a heavy burden upon you as people. I, I won't take that. And in addition to that, it says in Nehemiah chapter 2 that approximately 150 men, and it says that even came from nations around them to, do, to be a part of what God was doing. He served them on a regular basis food to 150 men. Nehemiah was showing, I'm in this with you for the long haul, and I'm ready to sacrifice. Even his own life, he put at risk. So as we follow God, as we look to see, okay, God, it's not always a strength in numbers. And sometimes you're going to call me or a small group to stand up for you. And Lord, I'm ready. I want to be sacrificial. I want to be, I want to be in the trenches, God, for your glory as Nehemiah did. He let alone when necessary. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 6 says, And after some time I asked leave of the king, came to Jerusalem, 
I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah. Verse 9, it says, Then I gave orders, and they, they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions, verse 10, of the Levites had not been given to them. Now, wait, wait a minute. Where's the team? Does Nehemiah, does he call, you know, like his 20, his 20 main leaders and say, okay, we need to go out as a group and we need to confront all this. There are a lot of instances here in Nehemiah chapter 13 where it says, and I did this and I saw this and I confronted and I, because sometimes it's necessary to lead alone. We see even in Malachi, and I'd like you to turn there in Malachi chapter 3, if you would, Malachi 3 and verses 16 through 18. I shared last week, and but for those of you who are just joining in kind of you know, here at the end of the series, Malachi served as a prophet during the time of Nehemiah's absence. Nehemiah had served as governor for 12 years. The building was built, I believe it was in 52 days, or the, the walls were built in 52 days. Phenomenal feat with God's help and his protection. Then he went back to the king as he had promised to the king of Persia. And during this absence, the people began to fall away from the Lord and began to even to intermarry into uh, you know, other religions. And it was a very sad state, once again, for the people of Israel. Malachi serves faithfully. Even though there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of compromise all around, Malachi serves faithfully, faithfully and so does another small group. Look with me in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. I, I love this next phrase. I think this is so awesome. The Lord paid attention and heard them. God of all the universe, when everything's going on, when there's a lot of corruption, when there's a lot of compromise, we see that Malachi writes down here, you know, there's a few that were still in tune and they were still trying to follow God. And it says, and God paid attention to them. It says, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, verse 17 says, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Listen, friends, um, I, I don't even have to say if you face, you, you are going to face, and maybe you are facing already, some opposition to what we believe about Jesus Christ. That is not a very popular idea right now. But as this people do, I want to encourage you, God pays attention to that. He is with you. He wants to, to, follow, to help you to follow through with that. Even in Malachi chapter 4, Later in the one next you know, chapter ahead of that, Malachi 4 and verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, I didn't grow up on the farm, so I don't know that I've ever really seen this, but from what I understand, if little calves are kept in a stall, once the, the, the door is open, the gates are open, the calves just go running out like crazy. I had a little Pomeranian, it wasn't a calf, but uh, whenever the door would open, even when we didn't want little Rennie to run out of the house, he would, boom, it's just out in the driveway. And often would like run little circles. 
that the idea that the, the vision here that, that Malachi wants us to have is as we're faithful, God is faithful to us and can give us the joy in serving him, even when all the circumstances around us would make it such where we wouldn't feel like jumping, we wouldn't feel like being re, you know, rejoicing in Christ. God says, if you're faithful, the son of righteousness, it says, shall rise with healing in its wings. It's the faithful few. Now, I want to, the second part of the challenge today, really, we're going to go through and kind of touch on some of the key points we saw in Nehemiah, and it's a call to action. I hope that this study of Nehemiah hasn't been, oh, cool, Nehemiah, what a great guy. What a good leader Nehemiah was. Well, a, a huge reason that God has, has put the Old Testament for us is not only so that we could learn lessons, but that, so we could live it out. How, what are we going to do with these truths? So the first thing that I ask is, how does God want you to respond to the needs around you? All, remember back in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about the walls in shambles, responds to that need. Well, how are you going to respond to the needs around you? Are there needs, spiritual needs around us? Help me out. What do you think? Are there spiritual needs? Just a few or a lot? There's a lot. I guarantee you, the 26 kids that came last night, I guarantee you in that small group, it's a small portion even of the 600 plus students that are part of Northwest Classical Academy, I guarantee you that within that group of 26 students, there were some serious hurts represented last night that many of us had no idea what they're facing on a daily basis. As we walk on campus at KSU, whether it's the Marietta campus or Kennesaw campus, and those of you who are students there, and you're sitting next to people in class, and uh, Sean is you know, a professor at KSU, and the thousands of students at KSU, that they may come to class, they may even laugh, they may even have their music on, but there are so many needs, spiritual needs that oftentimes we have no idea what they're facing. And may we, like Nehemiah, say and, and, and live, God, how do you want me to respond to that? How do you want us to respond to the single parent maybe that God has put in our path? How does God want us to respond to the spiritual needs in our neighborhood? How does God want us to respond to where you work and the spiritual needs around you? It's easy sometimes as a believer to go, man, I love being together with my family of God. I, I love singing. I, I love to have the fellowship time and but through the week, I'm just going to kind of hang back. I'm going to kind of live my life, and I'm busy. I've got so much going on. Well, we're to learn from Nehemiah that God puts needs before us, and he wants us to respond to those, those needs. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we see that Nehemiah and others had to face their fears. So the question for you is, what fears are you struggling with that would hinder you to move forward by faith? Do you fear, fear failure? Some of you may remember Carl Hoffines, who came with a team several months ago, and, and he said that. He said, you know, one of my biggest fears going into ministry was a fear of failure. I face that. God, is this going to work? Are you, are, are you going to do something? We don't want to fail. Do you feel failure? Do you feel maybe the fear of rejection? Well, goodness, if I, if I stand up for Christ in that way, then... Are other people even going to want to be around me? Am I going to have any friends? We see that Nehemiah stood up and faced his fears. 
Courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's moving forward in spite of the fear as we trust God Almighty. So it's not the absence of fear. Don't think, man, I'm fearful, so I better stop. No, if God's called you to do something, courage then in faith to move forward by faith is exactly that. Even though you have fears, you continue to move forward. I I thought it was interesting. Deanna, you know, mentioned, I I felt God wanted me to go to Bob Jones, but I'm not trying to put words in her mouth, but she may have been a little fearful of the expense. I know I am as a parent of BJ students. But Deanna felt like, no, this is where God, I I believe God's moving. And she took the steps and she has been able to see God has worked. There's going to be other things that Deanna's going to learn. And these other students and those of you at KSU, you face battles that if you, you continue to walk and step, you're going to see, as I face my fears, God is faithful. In what ways are you pursuing opportunities to move forward by faith with other brothers and sisters in Christ? In Nehemiah chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah just didn't come and with the resources that he had, just hire it out. I'm just going to pay people to build the wall. Probably be a little easier. You know, I can, you know, do a schedule and I can manage it and just, just pay them or promise some things in the future. No, he recruited other people and he said, listen, we're going to do this together. Let's arise and build. Let's do this as a team. So are you looking for ways to recruit others and to lead others and serve, you know, with others? Are you looking for ways that God is stirring in the hearts of maybe those of you are Bob Jones, some of your roommates, those of you are at Kennesaw State, maybe some of the other believers on campus? It's been exciting the last two Friday nights to be able to see uh, students come together, and some are unbelievers, but some are believers who are unifying around a purpose to, on the Marietta campus and on the Kennesaw campus, say, yeah, we follow Christ, and we're not ashamed of it, and we love him. We're college students. We've got a lot of aspirations, a lot of ideas, but we love him. In the workplace, those of you who are already graduated, but you're out in the workplace, are you looking for other believers that can share in the burden to respond to the needs around you. We see also, the question is, how well are you facing the spiritual opposition that you're encountering in your journey of faith? In Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6, those two chapters, there was so much opposition. There was even threat of all-out war. There was even some opposition from within. You may remember that in Nehemiah says that the nobles didn't have a mind to put you know, themselves to work. Some of the Jews even said, you know, no, it's gr- glad y'all are doing it, but hey, that's, that's really not for me. How are you facing the spiritual opposition? You know, Nehemiah was committed. He had, he had confidence that God had called him to go back and do that, but yet there were tough times. It wasn't like, oh, wow, yeah, God's just blown open the door. Every No, there were difficulties that he had to face. As you follow Christ, you have faced obstacles. How do you respond to that? Sometimes we face discouragement. We face intimidation. This, this next one is probably one of the more common ones. We face distraction. Many times in our, in our minds we think, yes, I want to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. But yet, man, but I, gotta, I need to do this. And I, I really want to do this. And in the end, a couple weeks pass, a couple months pass, sometimes a year, two years. And we've been so distracted 
that we're not trusting the Lord and facing that spiritual opposition as we, sh- as we should. False accusations, deception even. You know, as you face this opposition, is your tendency to say, okay, you've been evil against me, well, I'm going to repay evil with evil. God says, no, that's not, that's not the way we work. When things get tough, are you reminding yourself that you were called to carry a cross? I like comfortable things. I, I think most of us like comfortable things. I was asking one of the girls that, spent the weekend with us, you know, where did you end up sleeping? Did you get a bed or a floor? She's like, well, I picked the couch, and I think that couch is pretty comfortable. I'm like, okay. I like comfortable things. We try to get, you know, comfortable stuff. But in our Christian life, sometimes, especially in our culture, we can so value comfort and ease and convenience that we forget that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Don't look for comfort. Don't go and look for the couch, but take up your cross and follow me. That's part of facing the spiritual opposition. Nehemiah chapter 5, we see Nehemiah really embody a servant's spirit. And some of us, you know, we're trying to move forward. We're trying to do things for God, but we, we charge ahead. I mean, anybody's in our way, boom, we run them over. Do we do that? Are you doing that, or do you, do you serve with a servant's spirit, keeping God at the center, you know, serving others, loving others as yourself, living it out in small ways, you know, in big ways that, yeah, I, I want to follow God and I want to do it together and I want to serve and love you as Christ does. Nehemiah chapter 8, we see a lot about revival and in Christian circles, especially this time of year, election season. Pray for America. We did the men's community group last Wednesday night. We spent most of the community group praying for America. But we should do that more often, really. Not just election time, not just when the candidates are given all their promises. So there's a lot of talk about revival for our nation. But I'm going to ask you, what about revival for you and for your family? Are you pursuing that? We saw through Nehemiah you know, chapter 8, there's several things that are present when there's spiritual renewal and spiritual revival that's going to help. A deep respect and reverence for God's word. You have to think about how your, your life doesn't, even, you know, doesn't match up all the time with Christ and confess that. Renew your commitment to, to God. Even like Paul does in the New Testament, remind yourself that you can only live for Christ because he gives you the ability to do that. And he loved you first. And Nehemiah reminded himself of all that God had done And how God's favor was upon him. And I think that helped motivate him to press forward in the spiritual renewal and revival. Nehemiah 8, 11, and 12, we won't read it, but we saw that as as the spiritual renewal and the spiritual revival grew, they, they couldn't hide the joy. And I hope you can't either. I hope that as you and I live, that there will be something different about us, the way that we act, the way that we treat people, the way that we just go about life, even facing hardships. I pray that there will be such a difference that some people will say, hey, what is it with you? How can you face this or that? Or, or, or why is it that even at work, even some of the drudgery of everyday life, you can still have joy? Well, that's part of being spiritually renewed and having revival in your heart. You can't hide the joy. And we also saw in Nehemiah chapter 8, they celebrated God's works. They celebrated God's works. 
It's always fun. I, I enjoy competition. I, I love sports and stuff like that. So it was exciting last night to see the kids um, and even some big kids that really aren't kids anymore. But, you know, hitting that beach ball volleyball. It's about that big around. It's a pretty big beach ball. But hitting it and going back and forth. And then when the team, you know, whenever, whatever team won, you know, they're screaming and clapping. That's awesome. But sometimes in spiritual things, it's like, yeah, God is good. God's faithful. Amen. And anybody around is like, is he really good? I mean, if, if somebody was telling you about a restaurant, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's a good restaurant. You're like, well, well, is it or isn't it? So can we show that, you know, and say God, and tell, and tell others, God is good. And listen, these are some things that I've seen in my life. And there's different personalities, and we're not supposed to be, you know, cookie-cutter Christians, and we're all kind of jumping at the same time and doing this at the same time. But there should be something about you that people say that person celebrates what God has done, what he's doing, and what he'll still do. Another call to action is we, next question, what do you find that motivates you to continue to move forward by faith when you're tired? I'm just going to stop there for a second. Um, students in college, any of you get tired? I was telling one, uh, one, I can't remember which college student it was, we were talking in, in the car, and I, and I said, you know, that is something I don't miss a whole lot about college. It seemed like my college life for the three years that I was on campus and, and trying to get ahead to be able to marry early and all this stuff, it seems like for those three years, I could fall asleep at the drop of a hat. And I, it may, even though I was studying for ministry, there were, to the embarrassment of Kim, who often sat next to me in chapel, there were many times where in chapel I was just going, Amen. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. I'm not sure what you said, but yes, amen. I was tired. And sometimes when we get tired, it can be like, I, I just, I cannot deal with this right now. I, I'm not ready to move forward by faith because I'm exhausted. What about when you get discouraged? You're excited. You think God's called you to something. You've put your life into it. You've put your resources into it. And then it doesn't quite happen the way you thought. Well, how do you move forward? What motivates you? To move forward. When you face you know, these things and you're tired, you're discouraged, when you don't see the results, the question is, are you growing in your ability to draw yourself back and point yourself back to God's faithfulness? Look back and say, how has God been faithful in my life already? How is he still being faithful even in the midst of difficulty? And then why can I trust him to continue to be faithful in the future? A few weeks ago, as we looked through Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, we saw God's faithfulness in so many ways. That's why in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5, the latter part, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. God's been faithful from eternity past, and he will be for eternity future. And that's why it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. The latter part of Nehemiah 9, verse 8, it summarizes it well, and it says, You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. He's worthy of our trust, even in our moments of exhaustion, discouragement, frustration, and even in doubt. Job doubted a lot. 
The psalmist David doubted through many of the psalms, but then often would kind of come full circle and say, no, but God is my refuge. God is my shadow. God is my strong rock. And we come back to the faithfulness that we see in him. You know, the more that we get to know God and experience his his faithfulness, then we often, hopefully, will grow in our thankfulness to him. And even as Paul says, you know, I, I am moved by the love of Christ. That that, though, you know, who, the one who died for me, that I would live in return for him. In Nehemiah chapter 11, we saw that because of this thankfulness, you, you, we and, and Nehemiah did, and we should live a sacrificial life, purposeful life, a humble life. We, there's a lot of emphasis on accomplishments, what we can do, the awards we get. College students, beware. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing your best in college, but I pray that you're not doing it for some reward or some, you know, some level of academic success because life is so much more than that. And I've fallen into that hole many times. Kim remembers. When I was in high school, sometimes I, I would get a, what I thought was a bad grade. Sometimes it was you know, maybe an A-. minus. And I'd go out and I'd punch the locker. What did that A minus test back in 1993, how has that affected the rest of my life? Very little. So remember, there's a lot more than what we accomplish. Live humbly. Attitude of thankfulness will help us to live worshipfully. To worship him with our heart. To overflow with joy for him. To live generously. In Nehemiah chapter 12, we saw that there was generosity that came from that. As we're thankful for what God has done for us, then it makes it a lot easier to say, "And I, hey, I want to share what God's done for me. This is, this is part of just giving back to the Lord. And hey, I, I want to share. And it's not always financial possessions. Sometimes it's our time, our talents, our friendship. To be generous. And then lastly, what we saw most recently in Nehemiah chapter 13 was Nehemiah came back to a very uh, corrupt group of Israelites. Many were living a life of compromise. And there's a lot of similarities to the day that we're living in, in 2022. There's a lot of corruption. There is much compromise. But again, I hope you won't just say, man, Nehemiah was a great you know, leader. Praise God for what he did. I, I hope that through all this, God will help this to be a call to act and say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I live out these lessons? I want to repeat again, Nehemiah 13, 14 says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Verse 22, remember this also in my favor. Oh my God, and spare me. The, the Christian Standard Bible says, look on me with compassion according to the greatness of your steadfast or your faithful love. So I want to finish in this way today. I want to encourage you to, to just split up, maybe you know two or three. Not everybody has to pray. We don't want you to do that if you're not comfortable praying, but those who do, I want to encourage you just briefly as we close here to split up. This is how we're going to end our service. And I want you to pray, Lord, help me not to just learn some lessons about Nehemiah, but God, help me to to apply those lessons and to accept this call to action and to move forward by faith in these ways. So I'd ask you to do that here in the next few minutes, and I'll come and close 
here in just a few minutes before fellowship time.